Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for the LSJ. Joining me this week, as always, our LSJ sports columnist, Graham Couch, and Detroit Free Press, Michigan State beat writer, Chris Solari. Gentlemen, we've had uh, quite a week since uh, we last convened, and uh, we will get into all of that football and basketball news here in a second. But first, our weekly check-in with how you guys are doing. Chris, how are you on this warmer Thursday afternoon? I'm doing great. Uh, just interrupted me bumping some T Grizzly. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you 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 decided to to poke the bear, and uh, all the youths on Twitter got mad at you. So that was a uh, was quite an experience last week, I'm sure. Yes, it yes it certainly was. <laughs> but um, you know, everybody makes their decisions. As somebody who's poked the bear once in a while, I I I, I respect that element of it. Uh, Graham, how are you tonight or today or this afternoon? Whatever. Time is relative. Nothing to complain about, you know. As we record this, got uh, Miguel Cabrera trying to go for three thousand in the background. Got a big Southampton Burnley game later today that I'll uh, probably pay attention to. The English Premier League life couldn't be worse or couldn't be better. I was just gonna say it's it's good to see you uh, investing in a real sport like baseball. <laughs> and what I was going to say, you are one of only the. Uh, one of the few people in the world who has seen the entirety of the Magic Johnson documentary. So, and you teased that earlier this week in one of your columns. Uh, I've watched the whole thing as well. Oh, two people. My story will drop uh, Friday morning. So, it is. It is a. It's a good. It's a good doc. It's there's some things that could do better, but it's better than um, you know. It, it. I think for people who like MSU and certainly people like Lansing or feel a connection to Magic, they'll they'll enjoy. Uh, most of it, and there's some there's some revealing new stuff. I, I think it's one of those things. Like if you're somebody who consumes a lot of what Magic has done, be it biographical or or you know the documentaries like the announcement, the two thirty for thirty films, the announcement in 2012 or the 2017 Lakers Celtics rivalry series, you know some of it will be redundant. But um, you know there, I, you know I've never seen anything that got into the relationship with Magic and. And Cookie, as much as this, the stuff with his son is interesting. The there's certainly more Lansing stuff than than there's there's ever been, and and, and some of that detail. And and you you you, you know, I, I think there's a lot of really good, um, interesting stuff in there. And a couple things you wish they went into more, or a couple things. You know, I think that dragged a little bit. I thought the business stuff in the last one uh, is one of those things a good editor would have would have condensed a little bit. Um, but I also was. At, two in the morning watching my fourth straight episode. So I'm not sure if it dragged for that reason or if it dragged because it dragged. <laughs> I, I kind of give it to you on that because, uh, you know, this is the difference between having a documentary that's self-produced in many ways, like Magic's and kind of like The Last Dance versus a, an independent view. Now, I will say 
that the compare and contrast with uh, the winning time, uh, we mentioned the, the winning time show on HBO earlier, uh, the, the last month or month before when it dro- dropped, um, you definitely see the differences between the fictionalization, um, you know, dramatization version versus the actualization. And you're seeing it now with Jerry West and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar coming out with really strong messages uh, to HBO about what they've done with it. It's entertainment. I, I will give that. But I thought the Magic documentary was very informative. Um, I-, I-, I thought, to me, and I'm going to write a little bit about this, I was really interested um, from a differing standpoint, and I think a lot of our listeners would be, of just where the Magic and Isaiah disconnect was. Um, because they had been such good friends, and I didn't realize how often Isaiah had come to Lansing with him, which I thought was was fant- fascinating. You know how much time he spent around Lansing in the '80s with Magic and running camps, and really around the MSU side of it. Um, but it was the I think it was what the '87 series or '88 series uh, when Magic gave him a hard foul uh, yeah. during the during the the finals that that Isaiah yeah. said. You know, yeah, and they started that fight on the court that Isaiah said that's where our relationship really started to differ. And I hadn't heard that. Either. I think that was really interesting because I knew, you know, there was that interview with Magic and Isaiah that was really well done that where they sort of came back together in recent years. Um, and you do, it does yeah. make you wonder about like, well, first of all, it does, there's a level of competitor and, and, and I wish more athletes understood this, like, the thing that made Isaiah and Magic friends and the thing that made Bird and Magic respect each other and, and, and Jordan and all these guys is they would rip their mother's hearts out to beat you. And they would, as Magic yeah. says in that, you know, if it costs you a friendship to win, that's what happens. That's just the deal. And that that is, it, that is a level of competitor that not everybody is, but it, it's what it takes in a lot of ways to be, uh, to reach their level of greatness. I, I, I agree with you on a couple, uh, like I, I knew the growing up here, my father took me to Eastern Fieldhouse in 80-something, right, um, to watch Isaiah, Bird. I mean, all these guys would come back, and he would there, host these there, games. There was footage of that in this, too. Correct, correct. Yeah, I mean, those were big deal games. And that was more than once, I believe. I've tried to look it up in the LSG archives. There are a couple stories on it, like 86, 80, 85. 80, um, but there were also these pickup games that happened in the third floor over at Jenison um, that happened at the downtown YMCA. If you walked, yeah. I mean, if you were walking in as a 10 year old, riding my bike down to the downtown YMCA in Lansing, the old, the old building, walking in on a pickup game in maybe 89, 90. It was when, when Andre Risen was a rookie with the Colts. Cause I remember his car was parked out front with a zillion Colts bumper stickers on the back. Um, <laughs> and, the, and the pickup game is like magic. Isaiah. Andre Risen, Dr. Tucker, and I don't even know, uh, William Bedford, I think, was playing in the game. Like, you know, the, the you, you went over there, like, oh, my, I mean, this, this is a, it's like an NBA game on the downtown noon pickup game courts, you know. So uh, that is, um, th- there's a lot of, I've always enjoyed the way Magic has, obviously, I'm a, a Lansing snob, but his, Continued. I mean, here's a guy. Look at all these NBA guys who want to go to LA every summer. Magic was the guy that, as soon as the season was over, left LA for Lansing for a decade, and um, that that I've always found found interesting. You know, and I think 
it, we talked about the 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 disconnect maybe with that fourth episode of the the magic doc with the business side of it. I think this, it was a missed opportunity to kind of focus some on the business angle because one of the things when I was at MSU and I think there's, there were people in in my general age range, you know, that were there in the early '90s to you know, 2000s, you know, generally, um, that Magic would come back to MSU and play at Breslin Center. And I had a friend who somehow stumbled into uh, a, a pickup game. And he would, and Magic would pick up um, basically four students and play against the MSU players and beat them. And then to me, you know, that was, that's kind of how he does in the business world. You know, he's, he's done that to to pick up those around him and be kind of that that leader and i think they missed a little bit of an opportunity to to show that there is a connect from his basketball side to the to the business world but it was it was i thought well done and it was definitely there were some enlightening moments in it that were that were that are worth the watch i mean if you have apple plus or whatever it is that it's on to to kind of invest four hours in it and and kind of get a better perspective I'm, yeah, I'm totally with you. I, I think, you know, you talk about the Michael Jordan one and these ones that are sort of, I mean, Magic didn't really produce this himself, but it's clear it's a pro-Magic documentary. But right, it, does, right. it does do a good job, though, of, you know, just when you think, like the business stuff, I think the reason that seemed a little long is, you know, not everything he's done has worked. And and it, it just felt like there was this long They didn't shy away from it. Yeah. They and, also didn't and, shy away from it. And yet they didn't they didn't shy away from other things as much. Like Jimmy Kimmel calling his TV show maybe the worst television show in the history of television yeah. is is a great great line. And that's a little humility allowing the relationship with Cookie. And I mean you get you do get a sense of just a decade of misery he put her through in a lot of ways. And being uh, you know, willing to talk about that, the um, so th there are elements to the the documentary that aren't all. It's not spin. There's a lot of stuff that is. You know, I, w I was happy that they included an interview with Paul Westhead right after they do the uh, the interview with Magic about the firing of him, and like th those are important uh, things that sort of give you credibility to get the other person's perspective, right? And um, and so there was a lot. There was some really good stuff there. I, you know, I left one of the, the real things I left with was this sense of just how significant a person he is in so many spheres. You know, I mean, here's yeah. a guy who helped save the NBA. So just to basketball in general, he is significant to the health of the sport that exists. To Michigan State basketball, he is this enormous figure. To Lansing, he is the son of Lansing that's important. To the HIV AIDS community, he is as important as anybody who's ever lived. To the, um, you know, and uh, to black athletes and entrepreneurship, and incredibly, I don't know, trailblazing, but he certainly uh, showed a little what can be done. And I thought there was an interesting line from Grant Hill about noticing a black man who was adored and revered and idolized by white people in magic and how that was interesting. And there's so many things that he, I mean, so many significant uh, communities and people that he's touched that uh, it, it, that that's something that you're reminded of as you, as you go through this. And, and, you know, from an MSU standpoint, 
and I know a lot of MSU people will kind of maybe bristle at this, but Joel Ferguson and Greg Eaton were featured in there in the business yeah. angle of it, of what they did in Lansing and brought, helped him as a kid understand that, that black ownership and entrepreneurship was a viable option. And, and Magic obviously took that to a much different level. And I think the, the, the Magic Johnson theaters part was also what that did starting in L.A. when he opened those first theaters to the community, I thought was a, a pretty interesting thing because sometimes you just think about Magic the basketball player as an MSU fan or as someone who follows MSU closely or has been around this area, but there's a, there's a much larger scope in that. Not, you know, kind of going to the cookie thing, I think the disconnect between what's the dramatization in winning time versus the reality of their relationship also to me was fascinating because that the the winning time documentary couldn't be farther off and making a fictionalized romance. And, you know, you mentioned doc Tucker too. I mean, they, they basically make some characterization of, of what doc Tucker is uh, in this. Yeah. The Tucker thing is kind of um, weird. I, the Tucker thing is strange. Just Perry. They had known, they had known Tucker going way back. And, and, you know, and I, and I've known Tucker a long time, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, I, I don't know, pretend to know him as a, as a, as a, as a person closely. And I know there's some issues with, you know, Glenn Robinson when he was his agent and he's been sued by some people. I know there's some, not everything's hunky dory all the time. Right. I get that. Um, but, it, but it is, it, I don't, I, from what I do know, I do not think the sort of the representation of the character that's sort of representing Tucker and they don't call and, and to i'll say this it's interesting that the, the documentary does not they call him doc but they don't call him doc tucker so it's yeah. like they know they're they know they're creating a different character if you're an msu person or a lansing person or a magic person at all it is it is worth seeing um and you can always do it like apple tv and these things you can do be it a month or you can just do a you know a, a, a trial subscription if, if you if and uh there are some other good things on Apple TV, not to promote them, but if, if you do when I'm getting it for a month, I can give you some some other things that are worth uh, worth seeing, including uh, Ted Lasso and uh, <laughs> and the Morning Show. So those are two good shows if you're looking for things to binge. You can also watch Coda on there, which was uh, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture and won Best Picture. And I just watched The After Party, which is an eight-episode comedy series on there, and I enjoyed that quite as well, too. So a lot of recommendations on Apple Plus from the Spartan Speak Squad. All right. Well, I look forward to the three of us getting some uh, hastily written emails after talking about uh, this magic documentary for the first 16 minutes of the podcast. Uh, anyway, we march forward, and uh, I say we start with basketball news. We had a couple interesting tidbits this week uh, with Julius Marble deciding to, he was going to transfer from Michigan State and Joey Hauser announcing that he was going to stay at Michigan State. I kind of want to start with Julius Marble first because that was certainly – at this point, probably the more, the more shocking of the two, especially considering I think we thought Marble was slated to be a starter for the Spartans this year. Uh, Graham, what was your reaction to the Marble news? And uh, do you think there's a chance Michigan State can get him back, or is this uh, this done and dusted? Yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised initially. Um, I mean, obviously there are circumstances with him and his family that make it not surprising in hindsight, right? I mean, especially if he winds up somewhere much closer to his mom and sister and his you know father passed a year and a half ago and all that. Um you know, but so that, yeah, it was, I was surprised by it. Um, from a basketball standpoint and for Michigan State, 
uh, I'm, I mean, it's not helpful, but I don't think it's a huge, huge deal necessarily. I mean, I think they're, they're, they're likely to add a piece in the portal. Um, but you know, he was not defensively was not somebody who, um, had become a real, you know, he wasn't a rim protector. He was, he had some deficiencies there. He was a really good offensive player, frankly. And, and I think they have those pieces. And in some ways, if you're going to the portal, maybe it's easier without him to convince somebody to come in. I, I my sense is from Izzo, my sense is from that, that while nobody wanted him to leave, that this isn't like a, a devastating uh, blow as, as it may seem to some people just because of their situation at center. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I was, I was absolutely surprised because I do think um, he is a guy who uh, does have a, 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 you know, would, would have a big role next year, obviously. And it, it, it's a reminder that people have other things going on in their lives and things that, you know, and, and the other thing is with the transfer portal and the one and done, or sorry, the, the one-time transfer rule and the extra COVID year, all those things in the mix, like if those things didn't exist, I'm not sure he goes because he has the opportunity to go somewhere else now and still have two more years and, and also play immediately. And if, it, so there are a lot of things that exist that if, if, if you want to be home or you want to be closer or there's uh, you know, there's, there's still time to, to create something else for your, for your career. I think to me, the surprise isn't so much that he is looking to transfer and I would imagine get closer to home. Uh, his home's in Dallas. His dad died in the summer of 2020 unexpectedly, like right at the height of the pandemic. I think to me, what what was surprising is the timing of it. I anticipated that being a possibility a year ago, um, understanding and knowing how difficult a, a time that that is for him and his family with his father's passing. And, you know, I thought maybe it would be a year ago when, you know, Kithier and Lawyer and Henry and all those people left the program. It seemed like that was going to be the timing but I think Izzo kind of maybe dropped a little breadcrumb that, that I, you know, during the year that kind of maybe, you know, at least in hindsight, listening to some of the things now, you know, he's Marble has been on a, a civil engineering degree track. And that's something that he has been adamant about. And he is really, you know, focused on that. And, you know, I, I don't know where he's at in his academic progress with that. He, he, you know, he is a serious student, is what Izzo said, in terms of, of going after, you know, the civil engineering component. And that's, that requires a lot of time that, you know, most basketball players don't go for an engineering degree. So, you know, I don't know where he's at on that degree track. Maybe he ends up, maybe he's got enough credits to finish up at the end of the summer and get that degree before he does transfer. Um which then would allow him to, to go for a master's program somewhere else closer to home. That may have been a factor as well. Um, you know, I, I, I think it particularly right now with decisions that are being made um, coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, that affected different guys, different ways, Joey Hauser being one of them, um, you know, and I think that, you know, if you kind of look at those two situations, you know, Marble obviously got some family circumstances that, that were that were weighing on him, and he was away from home. And Joey Hauser, you know, I think kind of fell out of love with the game during it. Um, you know, being away from home really for the first time, being away from his brother in college. Um, you know, you saw that in the 2021 season. Um, I think towards the end of this season that Hauser really started to have fun with the game again. 
uh, maybe around January 1st when he hit that, you know, he hit that shot against, I think it was Minnesota that, that he had a, he had a big bucket in, um, that really kind of changed his enjoyment of the game. And, you know, I had heard some rumors that he had a year ago had considered quitting basketball. I don't know how legitimate they are or if it was just in the moment, but you could tell that, you know, come the end of the regular season and into the Big Ten and NCAA tournaments that he was starting to kind of blossom a little bit more towards the player that Tom Izzo recruited from Marquette and really in high school. So, you know, I, I, that didn't surprise me either that he was deciding to come back for another year. So I, I think that, you know, you got to look at those two situations, and I think that, you know, it's less to me sometimes about the basketball than it is right now. Um, at least in these instances, uh, it's about the person, not necessarily the basketball. Now, a lot of decisions in the transfer portal are about basketball. Um, but, you know, I think you got to kind of take each transfer case, you know, individually with, with what someone's dealing with. I mean, Chris, you mentioned the Hauser, the rumor about Hauser considering quitting playing basketball. You, and I, is that anything Izzo, Michigan State related, and just having trouble adjusting to a different type of coaching or anything, or is that do you think that's unrelated? I don't think that's necessarily related. I think it was. I think a lot of it was during the pandemic, and you know the oddness of of being isolated, and you know here here you have this monster game against Wisconsin on Christmas Day, and you know you're limited with spending time with your family to protect yourself and your team from getting COVID. Um, you know, that to me was a turning point, you know, I know, and, then you know, you look at what happened after that and that, that I believe was the one time that, that, uh, in that season that, that fans were allowed at, at Michigan state until maybe right at the end when they played Michigan. Uh, so they were playing in front of nobody and they couldn't have their families there. And that, that weighs on different guys, different ways. I, I think that was a big part of it. I think a lot of these kids right now that have been in college the last two years are going to have some some reacclimation and uh, to what the norm is and i think last year the end of last season in particular as the masks started to come off in arenas as as the fans started to gather in in and mass again did i think that you know you, you started to see guys and i think hauser was one of them that really started to to get back to a little bit more of the normal um you know we'll never know i don't think just how much the the last two years affected guys um you know and you know tom but tom Izzo has been open and frank about a lot of that 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 it, it is affecting kids differently and you know i don't necessarily you know it, it's hard to kind of to look at things from the the you know pre-pandemic general fan lens of you know this guy's at my school so he's the greatest this guy decided to leave my school or t- turn down my school's scholarship offer so forget about them. I don't care about them. You know, it's, you know, you get a little humanity. I think, you know, you should take a little bit of the humanity view towards it. Um, and understand that, that it wasn't necessarily normal, even, even compared to their peers. I mean, a lot of their peers were still at home and these guys and girls that, that did compete, um, were basically on campus a year ago by their lonesome. And so, no in-person classes. And, you know, so the, there were a lot of dynamics, I think, that came into play. And, I, I you know, did, did the Izzo weigh a factor in that? I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I thought that Izzo treated Joey Hauser very carefully. 
because I think he knew what he was going through. Fair enough. Uh, let me let me shift back to Marble here real quick. Uh, Graham, where where do the Spartans go from here with with their post depth? Ideally, you bring somebody in who is a uh, has some experience, some grit, good rebounder. Um, whether they're a rim protector or not, they're they're a natural defender. Somebody has some toughness to them. I don't think offensively you need it. You need a ton of that spot, but you you want somebody who's um, who gives you some options there because I I do think. You know, I mean, I think Gizzo likes this team more than a lot of fans do right now. And, you know, I, I don't think, and I don't mean to, I'm not going to act like fans don't have reasons to be concerned with stuff. I think the poor, people don't know how to handle the portal yet. Um, and that's just going to take time. Because I do think that this is the norm. Like, count on losing a player every year, at least one. And count on it not being somebody you necessarily expected to go. And that's just, this is, it is what is now because i i still think there are you know if, if Izzo will play his best guys his, be, his best three guys guards you have a chance to put together a lineup with with hauser hall uh akins walker and, and hogard and and i think hogard has a chance to be special that's 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 interesting and difficult for people to defend and you know for, and I and I, I think there are opportunities to do some good lineups that way. It, it'll be interesting to see what if Sissoko can give them what how ready Jackson Kohler is um, defensively. But I, I think they need to add somebody. I, I just do, and I think it's probably easier to do now if you're an outside big man looking in. Um, and in some ways, because you know you you can argue that there was a hole before Marble left. But if I'm a guy who's going to transfer in and I'm looking at their situation, I'm not seeing the hole. I'm seeing a guy who can play 20, 25 minutes and Marble is a seasoned guy. I'm seeing Hauser, who they use at the five. I'm seeing two other centers on the roster. I'm saying, where, where is the sort of guaranteed playing time? And now there's an opportunity to be the starting big man if you were the right guy or or play an obvious role. So I, I think they, they'll, they'll probably add a piece. right. You know, As it looks right now, they're going to have nine scholarship guys next year. Uh, which the, the, you know, I'd be surprised they don't add a couple. But it's not as simple as just adding a couple. You you want to improve your roster and um, find guys in positions you need and, and and figure out what the makeup of the team you want to have is. And I think for people who think Izzo subs too much, you know, maybe next year if the the rotation is legitimately eight dudes, you might you might love next year. I think that you know the people that are you know basically pushing a roster reset you know, and looking at Mel Tucker's program and saying, well, look what Mel Tucker did. Why isn't Izzo taking that perspective on the portal? You also have to realize Mel Tucker's got 85 scholarships to Izzo's 13. I think that's basketball's a lot different in that respect. Um, and particularly when you are considered a blue blood type program, um, you know, how are you improving for guys that are entering in the portal? You know, are those guys legitimately better than the high school prospect you might have for four years. I mean, it's, there's a lot of cost benefits that go along with that, but you know, you also, you know, I, I think there were some limitations this year by bankrolling two of those scholarships and not having those bodies. Um, but every program in the country is looking for a, a powerful center that can do the things that Izzo is looking for as well. So there's a lot of components that I think go along with that. Um, beyond just simply we need to add bodies. And I think Izzo is, is, like you said, navigating that and trying to learn what 
will be the best fit. I think you talked about it recently. Just, you know, you, you want to have those, those core group of guys as your culture and your program, if you are going to add from the portal. And that would be the, from the high school ranks would be the core guys, you know, the, the Jade Nakins, the AJ Hogards, the, the uh, Malik Halls that have been there three years, two, three years and understand the demands of the program to help bring guys like Tyson Walker along um, as they did this year. So, you know, it, it, it's going to be fascinating. I think not just this year, but in the coming years to see, how exactly that fits into Izzo's strategy because he's been for years. And I, I, the thing that I, I always find funny though, is people talking about Izzo isn't adapting to the portal and all of this. Izzo complained about graduate transfers and went out and got Brandon Woods. He, he's adaptable. You know, he, he might have his views on things, but he's also his biggest view is trying to improve his program. It, people should understand that Mel Tucker doesn't love the transfer portal. Now he's not as vocal about it. And it's helped him early, and he's he's in, he's done what needs to be done. But if you give Mel Tucker over a beer or an account, he's not he's not somebody who loves the transfer portal. I don't. There's, I, I would be stunned to find many coaches out there who do. Um, you know, Izzo's just speaking his mind out, and I think that that worries people. Um, I also think he sees. I mean, the thing you have to remember about college basketball, and it's easy to to look at a team at the end of the year, and but most of college basketball is the teams that win is still player development year to year. I, I, I would, you know, you can look back at the Draymond Green senior year team and the first team I really covered for MSU. And they, they, they did not, that was not a team coming in that people expected anything of. Now you can look at the pieces on that team later and say, well, but they had this guy, this guy, and this guy, but this guy, this guy, and this guy weren't this guy, this guy, and this guy when they were coming into the season, they were, nobody's and it was going to be a problem or they didn't have the seasoning and they weren't expected to be very good. And I don't know that Izzo even thought they were going to be that good. The, the, you know, what happens in development year to year. And, and like, I, I think Izzo truly believes that what Hogarth can be, that this will be Hogarth's team. And, and, and what you, when you get good guard play, what that does, good point guard play and how, how, and, and, and how that can elevate everything around it. And, and what you're going to have in seasoned players, perhaps like Hogarth or, or sorry, like Hall and Hauser and, uh, you know what Aikens can become, and 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 and, and you know I I think there are a lot of things that MSU basketball has next year that a lot of programs don't and would love to have. Now that said, at some point I think even if you are able to create some matchups that are trouble for people with what you have, you're going to have to rebound and defend and and create that to, to win some big games, and and you need to make sure you physically have the dudes that can do that, and and I and I think that's that's where you probably need to add to the roster. Graham, I am setting the over-under at Matty Sissoko starts for next year at five. Which way are you going? I'm going under. Yeah. Because I, I think it's more likely that a guy like Jackson Kohler is ready and the guy they use in that role. If, if they're, you know, Because they, they've done it before where a guy starts and he's not the, the main player. I just, I don't, my guess is it's not Sissoko, even if they're, I, I just don't, I, I, w- I would be very surprised if that happens unless he takes some leaps and bounds. Yeah, that's and that's the development component. You know, I mean, you know, a lot of people would have said that, you know, there's no way that AJ Hogard starts, you know, even into December, <laughs> you know, after the season began, and then all of a sudden he emerged. So, you know, this will be, I, I believe, you know, as much as last summer was kind of a little bit return to normal, this will be the first summer of normalcy, 
I, I think in a lot of ways in college basketball and for other college athletic programs. So you could, you know, it, it, there's a potential that he could make that developmental growth because remember Izzo going into last season was really trumpeting this, what he saw in the development of Hogard. And a lot of people not, weren't necessarily believing him until they actually saw it on the court. And, and I, and I do think that the, the, Izzo is hoping right now that that you know he finally now gets the Hogard they thought they were getting, and that he's back. And I mean, he's sort of he ended the season in a really good frame of mind. And it's not just the twenty nine point. He played some really good games down the stretch, not just the twenty nine points against Davidson. And, and um, I understand there's some some talk about playing Hall at the uh, small forward, and you may see that some of the bigger lineup depending on who else they get. But you can create some matchups where if you're four and five can shoot and Hall and Hauser, you, you know, you do some things to people. And it, it's really how you play mindset, you know, and, and um, you know, and, and I think a lot of people are still, you know, I, I don't my, my, I don't think people are expecting Max Christie back. And I think that needs to be something that I think people are becoming more and more in, 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 in tune with. And and, um, and so that you know, create some other questions about how you're going to play different people. And, 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 and I do think if Christie had come back and taken the step that we all thought was needed to, to be that dude, that that could have been a really, you know, with him and Hogard sort of taking the reins could have been a really, really the beginning of a, a, a special season. I, I just, I don't think they're going to get that component of it. And I think with, with the immediate eligibility of transfers, I mean, you know, as you saw with Marble, I mean, we're midway through, almost towards the end of April, there'll be other guys going into the portal. I think with the draft in particular as well, there'll be guys who potentially withdraw their names from the draft and are, are looking for other opportunities as well in the college realm. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of balancing acts and, and learning curves that, that go along with coaches who are looking out for players that, that can help them immediately that, you know, you kind of, you know, what we're seeing right now in mid-April you know, by mid-May or the end of May could be a completely different landscape of, of who's available, too. So I want to piggyback. Something you just said, Chris, I think is really important. Uh, a couple things. One, there are a lot of guys out there who have declared for the draft and also entered the transfer portal. And so Correct. sort of seeing what happens with them. The other thing, if I'm a coach, and this is going to become more and more of a savvy thing, I'm not letting it get out there that I'm looking at guys really, unless there's a guy I really want to target in an obvious need until May 1st, because the, 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 the sort of the thing that's different this year than last year is guys, May 1st is the deadline to enter the portal. So after May 1st, Izzo can go after whoever he wants and his own guys can't get in the portal. And so that's an important thing. Like if you, if you go get a wing right now, you jump in and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go get a wing. who has got two years eligibility left. He's going to come in. Pierre Brooks might look and go, well, shoot, I'm, I'm jumping in the portal. I'm out of here. You know, and and so you've got to play the timing game on that too. I think, and and, um, and, and if, if you want to bring guys in without losing your own roster, right? It's going to be a, a that that stuff's going to be fascinating over time. And and uh, but chess I would not. Just, I mean, it's, it's another chess match for coaches. Totally, totally. Well, let's stick with the transfer portal, but switch sports over to football, where uh, since the conclusion of Saturday's spring game, the Michigan State football team has seen two players enter the transfer portal, and the first one was uh, running back Donovan England, who was part of the 2020 class, and then cornerback Antoine Booth, who was part of Mel Tucker's first uh, full recruiting class in 
2021. Uh, I, I don't think we're too surprised about Eaglin since part of a very, very crowded uh, running back room. And uh, I think Booth, or Eaglin, excuse me, did play in all 12 games last year, primarily on special teams. And Blue Booth was redshirted last year as a cornerback. Uh, Chris, uh, what was your reaction to, to both of those uh, moves to the portal? Well, when you bring in two running backs uh, and via the transfer portal, there's going to be obviously some attrition, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's more attrition at that position. I agree. Um, and kind of, the same, kind of the same with the defensive backfield. I mean, you've seen Mel Tucker go after different kind of defensive backs, you know, longer cornerbacks, bigger cornerbacks that Antoine Booth just isn't. Um, you know, and, and I think that Antoine Booth isn't is smart enough that he saw that that writing and I, and I think coaches really especially now have to be a lot pretty forthright with guys you know going into or wanting to explore the portal so neither of those situations surprised me the Ben Van Summeren uh situation withdrawing from the portal I think also doesn't surprise me because I think you only really get one opportunity to get a free transfer in the portal if you don't have your undergraduate degree uh already so you know if he wasn't going to be able to be a grad transfer you know there may be some roles on special teams because he was playing on special teams last year i'm curious to see how they use him because they've obviously brought in a lot of linebackers uh could they flip him back to to like that h-back spot that he was sort of playing at michigan and and maybe use him there um you know that's something i've kind of wondered a little bit of seeing some of the, the injuries that were there um during the spring um but you know Eaglin didn't back to Eaglin he didn't participate in the final open practice so it was kind of evident right there that that he would be the first to go and you know Jarek Broussard the Colorado transfer arrives uh after he finishes his degree at Colorado here uh in the coming weeks so um it'll be interesting to see in the you know before that that deadline if if one more running back goes in and also I think at the quarterback spot you know, are, is Michigan State going to go in with four scholarship cornerback quarterbacks? Um, with with obviously Peyton Thorne being the guy, but then Amp Fay and Noah Kim and Caden uh, Hauser. I mean, Hauser is the true freshman, so you'd likely not see him leave. But you know, never say never because Quinn Ewers is you know. I mean, shows that it doesn't matter if if a guy doesn't think that there's a chance for playing time, they may jump it right away. But they're pretty high on Hauser being potentially the quarterback of the future, but what does that mean for Noah Kim and Amp Fay? What, what, who's really the guy that they feel is comfortable enough to be the number two next year? Um, you know, so I, I think there's still going to be some more movement coming um, at a few positions. Yeah, no, I, I, I think the quarterback situation will be interesting, as Chris alluded to there, because, you know, there, there is a history, and I think if I was a coach, and all this is going to be mind games and sort of recruiting your own players, so you may love – Caton Hauser is potentially the future or think he has a chance to be that. But you've also got to convince guys, you know, that like in Michigan State history, the heralded dude that people thought was going to be the guy has almost never been the guy. And it's almost always been the less heralded guy who's won the job. And because your 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 coaches don't decide who gets to be the quarterback. That's decided by the quarterbacks. And it's not decided by your pedigree. And I know there's a lot of love for Kate Hauser out there, and I think he may be absolutely legit. But he's not the first Elite 11 quarterback to show up at Michigan State, and he's and and there have been a couple that haven't. Uh, you know, you think of Keith Nickel, you think of Andrew Maxwell. Those guys never became the dude. 
And um, Joe Boyster. What's that? Joe Boyster. I mean, that was an injury situation, but yeah. you know, another highly regarded quarterback that did not pan out. They've had a, they've had a number of you know. You go back to Ryan Van Dyke. You know, like they've had a yeah. number of guys that were you know. It just hasn't been the one who's won the gig and been the guy. And and so it, it's such a different. It's such a step up. It's such a. Um, and so do those guys, what would really, will, I think will come down to is do those guys think they have a chance to be the guy at some point, what, what's their own confidence in themselves. And, um, you know, and the other thing that, that that's interesting too, is because you don't have to sit out anymore. I do wonder if, if quarterbacks feel less pressure to leave immediately. For example, if, you know, in the old days, if you knew you're gonna have to sit out, you, you might as well get on the horn and get into the program you want to, you're going to be at next and, and work yourself into that and look at their roster situation. But now it's like, well, I, I can let it play out wherever I go, whenever I go, I can go immediately. And if you're Hamp Fay, if you're, I guess Hamp Fay doesn't qualify for this, but if you're Noah Kim, you still have the, the extra COVID year too. So you got time, you know? And so, uh, you know, if you think you're like, if you're Noah Kim and you think you are the true backup this year, if something were to happen and, and, and there's not, you know, we we don't know exactly what what they do, but if you know it, Kim, and you think I'm an I'm a one play away from playing this year, and I think I'm pretty good and can show that I I'm a, I'm a, I'm a player, I wouldn't leave now. I I you know I I'd, I'd see what happens, and, and and now if through the course of fall camp and practice, and all of a sudden it becomes clear you're not the next in line, or long term plans that it, it's not going to be you, then maybe you move after the season. Um, and do so where you get a spring practice somewhere else or all that sort of thing. I, I, but I don't know that – it'll be very interesting to see what happens with all those guys. I, I don't know that you get four guys there, but I also could see a scenario where all of them stick around to, to do the season and see where and sort of see where they are. Well, let's uh, move on to the actual spring game that, uh, that happened uh, this past week. Um, uh, wasn't really much of a game, more of, a, more of an open practice, and you guys kind of got it to see a lot of maybe what maybe the depth chart looks like and who might be playing where and who was injured and who wasn't injured. And man, that I remember, I think Chris was the one who tweeted out like the injury list for Michigan state was uh, pretty hefty for the spring game. Uh, but Chris, were you able to kind of take it, take anything away from, from what you saw in the spring game, maybe in terms of the depth chart or whatnot? Yeah, I think it's to me and, and probably the other people who cover the team a lot more beneficial to see an open practice like we did this year and last year and really last fall as well when Mel Tucker had the open practice rather than um, meet the Spartans. Um, I thought you, you just get to see how they work, and, and you know, to borrow his phrase, the, you get to see the process. And I think that's, you know, not now from a fan standpoint, it's probably not nearly as, as viscerally exciting as, as it would be. But at the same point, I'm not necessarily sure what you really get both from a production standpoint and from a from an information standpoint of watching teams get split up in half and having offensive lines that are split that aren't going to play together and how that affects the quarterback's play and, and the running backs in particular. And um, that said, there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of offensive line to split up, so you understand why they did what they did. So I, I think that's the first spot that you look at because, listen, um, they had six healthy offensive linemen and had to convert two defensive tackles during the spring to, to add some depth. And, you know, they, they altered their practices considerably from what I've, I've heard. 
because of that. And we kind of saw that play out. There were, there were stretches where the offensive line weren't working with anybody, but taking a break, um, doing technical work, uh, just by themselves with no defense in front of them. Um, so it was already going to be a, a, a spring that was important for the offensive line development. Um, I don't necessarily know how much that really helped. I think they've got a lot of work and a lot of makeup to do over the course of the summer going into preseason camp. You know, when you have guys like Matt Carrick and Jarrett Horst and Gino Vandemark that were out that, you know, probably will be relied upon heavily come next season. Um, you know, I think that was to me the, the one area that you kind of looked at and was like, you know, we, we learned nothing really. And, and I think, you know, even when they went live, you, I, I, I highly doubt that you'll see those combinations on the offensive line next season. Otherwise, I think Michigan State could be in some trouble. Uh, but that said, I think you saw some things from a mere speed first and foremost um, at the cornerback spot that I think will help the pass coverage. Uh, and some of the some of the things that they did, I think Marquis Lowry quietly can become a, a major player. I thought he had a good second half of the year once his injuries kind of went away a little bit, and he had a, a healthy spring. Uh, not having Ronald Williams, I think in the spring kind of, or at least in the the final practice, uh, you know, you didn't get a good picture of it. But I thought the secondary looked decent, and speed going against Jaden Reed was was some of the the most compelling stuff that we saw uh, on the field. Uh, last Saturday and then the linebacker spot I, I think it was pretty clear and evident that Aaron Brule and and Jacoby Winman the two transfers look looked apart and look to their advanced billing and look like they're going to be major 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 contributors in that defense which I also think will help the past defense and you know the the decision to move Darius Snow into kind of like that hybrid you know you want to call it a star, if you want to call it a nickel, you want to call it a viper, you want to call it whatever buzzword they've called it, where he's playing more of a, a safety linebacker or uh, you know a hybrid position that, that allows him to maximize his hitting ability and coverage. Uh, I think that's going to be another big key for that defense. I took away a couple things. One, I think a couple positions that were, were whether well, weaknesses or at least very thin a year ago, are going to be potential strengths this year at, at uh, I think corner and linebacker, where they're going to have the depth to be as good in November as they were in September, so to speak. I, I think, um, you know, the, just the fact they were able to hang in there in corner with some guys out or limited in the spring uh, sort of tells you that at corner. And, and I think you're going to see, uh, you know, sort of a. I'm very curious at linebacker. I think, you know, you, you've got the two transfers who are going to be a part of things. You've got Cal Halliday. Um, you know, you're, you're. Where is Darius? No fit. How often is he in uh, that that linebacker role? And um, yeah, it, it's it. No, I think there's. I think that. But I think that's going to be a really solid position for them. I'm with Chris on the offensive line. Like there, there's. You know, I get why MSU fans are excited about Mel Tucker, and I, I think what he's done deserves all the buzz. But it is interesting how they view. Izzo and Tucker differently just because of their public tones towards the transfer portal. And even if they don't feel all that differently about it, although I do think Tucker just, it is what it is and he's going to, you know, do his thing. But because if you were to take, if this was an Izzo coach team right now, 
and you said, boy, they got a lot of components to be really good. But you know what? They don't necessarily – there are some concerns that the offensive line could be a problem. And I don't know yet that they have somebody who can rush the passer and really get after it and be effective doing that. Maybe they will, but it's unproven in both spots. Those are two critical things in football. No different than having a center who can protect the rim or a wing, you know, can score. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that the, the rosters are really all that different in terms of where they're missing something. And and yet the, the perception is totally different. Um, I, I, I think Well, Mel Tucker – Mel Tucker- Mel Tucker did what Tom Izzo hasn't done and gone into the portal and get a center in, in the uh, Brian Green kid from Washington State. That's true. That's obviously different. You know, I mean, there's going to be a lot more guys coming. Um, you know, we saw that a year ago with, with guys coming in from the portal. Like, for example, Kenneth Walker was ahead of Harold Joyner in large part because of the talent, but also because he was enrolled in January and Joyner didn't get there until after spring ball ended. So, you know, you see some things that, you know, the, the guys that are going to come in, like Jarek Broussard and, and Brian Green, um, and if they get any more transfers, um, how quickly can they adapt and adopt the system and, and become fits to, to play right away? You know, I, I think we talked with, uh, you know, a couple of the coaches. I think Scotty Hazleton was who talked about the difference that it was with guys who came in after spring ball last year, particularly in the secondary, that by the time they got to preseason camp, there had to be a lot of, on-the-fly learning for guys like Lowry and Chester Kimbrough and the guys that weren't there in, in January uh, and all the way through spring ball. So that's something to keep in mind if they do add more guys from the portal. And, Graham, going back to your point about Tucker actually you know, bringing people in already off the portal, they uh, he went and hired a rush specialist as a, as a coach in that Brandon Jordan guy. So uh, we'll see if that works any wonders uh, in the offseason heading into the fall or not. I think that was a, a good. I mean, look, I don't think there's, I don't think they're standing pat. I think they're making the moves to be as good as they can, as quickly as they can, and I and I think they've done. You know, you look at what they've done at running back. I mean, I think you're likely to have two transfers as the main dudes at running back with Broussard and Berger, right? And and I think they kind of know that. Maybe Davion Prim is is part of that, but they, I, I think their their sort of thought process right now is it'll be those two. And I think they'll be. I think they'll be solid. I think the, the offense, the offensive line, if it can be so, solid, the offense has a chance to be outstanding. I think they've got great strength and some good depth at receiver, both young promising pieces and, and obviously a, a, a front man and, and, and Jaden Reed. Obviously, you got a veteran quarterback. I think the tight end position is going to be uh, improved and, and 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 becomes a strength, which could be important depending on the offensive line. I think running back would be. We will be good enough, even without Kenneth Walker. And it's just about can you protect? Can you get a push um, to the point that allows you to compete in those games where those you know where you're playing legitimate teams? And I and I think we'll know quickly. Not only do you have sometimes you can read some of it when they you know I remember when Michigan State in like 2018 didn't get a push against Bowling Green in the first game, going well the offensive line is going to be an issue, right? You just kind of know it. if you're not going to get a push against Bowling Green, you got a problem. But also pretty early on, I think a decent Minnesota team comes to town and Ohio State's early. They got the trip to Washington. Obviously there are going to be some teams that physically we're going to know pretty quick where they stand and they're going to know where they stand. And some of those positions I think were compromised with the injuries too. You know, you, you know, you're missing three defensive ends. You know, we talked about the, the lack of a pass rush and concern about that. I mean, missing, Tank Brown, Avery Dunn, and Michael Fletcher. I mean, those are three guys that 
could become guys that, that come off the edge in those situations. Um, you know, missing Malik Carr, I, I think, you know, was something to kind of, you know, it, it's not surprising considering he was playing basketball and maybe there was a little injury there that you want to protect him because it is spring ball and, and he's had a long year. So, you know, there, there's Montori Foster too. I mean, you can't really gauge that that number three receiver spot without Montori Foster being in that competition with Keon Coleman and Jeremy Bernard. And then the addition of Antonio Gates Jr. come the summer as well. So it was, it was, I think a pretty good thumbnail sketch of what you, you're going to see come uh, preseason camp in that first game against Western Michigan. But I also think that, you know, the colors have not been added to, to what the full picture is going to look like. All right. Well, the biggest thing I learned from uh, this podcast recording is that Max Christie may actually stay in the draft. So that was I thought that was a little interesting tidbit you dropped, Graham. Uh, any final thoughts here before uh, before we sign off for this week? Yeah, and that's that that's just the sense I get from people who are, you know, around the situation that that's their sense that that this is the um, I think people. It's not that something couldn't change. He could absolutely be humbled to a point that. He wants to come back or, or something triggers something that says, I'm not ready for this because, frankly, he's, he's not ready for the NBA. He might decide he wants to be a pro and he might decide me- mentally he's ready for that. But I think the, the, the people around him see him as a pro and, and want him to be a, a pro. And that's sort of been his trajectory. And my sense is that he's not he's not in you're not at MSU working out. He's in the Chicago area. And I, I just think that that's sort of where this is this is headed. Not that something couldn't change, but. I think his intent today is to be in the NBA draft. Yeah, and I know he was out in California working out as well um, at one point. But, you know, you look at the mock drafts, and I, I saw one mock draft, I think it was CBS, that had uh, a second-round pick for uh, Marcus Bingham and Max Christie nowhere to be found in the draft. So there's a lot of intel that will will be gleaned uh, by by. Christie and his people over the course of the next month or so as as they work out and try and figure things out um, and, and get a real true grade as he as he does get some some ears and, and voices from scouts. And I think the other thing, you know, kind of switching gears to football is a week from now, we're going to be talking about potentially where Kenneth Walker is in the draft and where what Connor Hayward and Jalen Naylor maybe did to to boost their stock and, and see if they become second or third day picks, probably third day picks, particularly for Hayward. And, you know, a guy like Kevin Jarvis as well, who, who left for the draft uh, with eligibility remaining. And, you know, can he play himself into scouts view and, and become a pick? Because a year ago, it was the first time that we really talked about Michigan state's draft streak ending. And it seems like a new streak starts next week at this time. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.